0: Hello, my name is Camille Katona. And my name is Stephanie Spence. And welcome to the first episode of the 1999 Beauty Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We're excited to be here. So today on the podcast, we have Didi Katona, who is one of the founding team members of 1999 Beauty and also happens to be my mother. And we have worked with Didi for over 10 years now I mean Camille's worked with her in different iterations <laughs> for her whole life but uh, Camille's been or sorry Dee has been part of our professional lives Uh, for a while. And she has been a pivotal part of the brand, but also a big inspiration for us behind the brand. Uh, And we are excited to share her perspectives and views and story uh, with you all. My name is Camille Katona, and today I will be interviewing Didi Katona, who is my mother and part of the 1999 Beauty founding team. Didi is co-founding partner and chief creative officer of Concrete Design in Toronto, which she co-founded with my dad, John Polipchuk, I think over 30 years ago now, and they've worked on some incredible... Brands both in Canada and globally. Uh, recently, Didi has worked on in the past 10 years a ton of beauty brands, including Byte Beauty, Velour, uh, Patrick Chaw, Beauty Blender, Paracone. The list goes on, Um, so it was really exciting to be able to work with her on 1999 Beauty. I first started thinking about some of these ideas that would inspire the creation of 1999 Beauty a couple years ago when I started to notice my mom's struggle or resistance uh, towards aging. Anyone who knows Dee Dee knows she's an open book and she speaks her mind unapologetically. And she started sharing with me um, how she was feeling about aging and not so much the physical aspects of aging, but more um, the emotional. And she shared with me that she felt left out of the conversation that she was having a hard time finding people at her age that she could relate to, people that still were engaged in life and wanting to explore and try new things and digitally engaged and learning and um, kind of following what's going on in the world and uh, keeping up to date. And, and then I started to think about a lot of the people and places and products that I interact with on a daily basis and realized that it's not that different that than what my mom uh, interacts with and wants to interact with There's some weird barrier that at a certain age you shouldn't be going to a bar or shouldn't be dancing or shouldn't be you know. Wearing purple eyeshadow, Um, and I just thought that that is not something that I ever want to feel uh, when I'm in my fifties. I think that no matter what age you are, you should be able to express yourself in any way and participate in any element of life as long as no harm is involved. Um, So I started to ask these questions, and she started to share with me that because of her age, she was starting to feel left out of the conversation and. I noticed her constantly questioning her choices, whether it be what she's wearing, what she's doing, where she's going, uh, because of her age and because of stereotypes around uh, an older woman. I guess this idea kind of grew out of frustration um, on my end, just seeing her deal with the struggle and be like, "Mom, wear what you want, do what you want. Like we can wear the same things. It's not that strange." and it it kind of brought to the surface these boundaries that society has put on us on what you can do or be depending on your position in life, your age, where you come from. Um, So this is what kind of first inspired these ideas behind 1999. And as I thought about it more and the more time I was around my mom's struggle, I noticed that um, there must be other people experiencing this as well. And we want to start talking about it. So together with Stephanie and Simone, we came together and started 1999 Beauty, which launched in April of this year. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with my mom. We'll talk about uh, how she came to start Concrete, uh, the evolution of the agency, and her experiencing with aging and beauty. Okay, hello, Didi. Hi. It's nice to be here with you today. This is... (laughs) exciting (laughs) so can you tell us a bit about yourself and your path to starting concrete
1: Uh, sure yeah I mean I had no path really I thought I thought from a very young age that uh, I wanted to be a lawyer Um, probably uh, I know in that typical like I want to help people way that's what I wanted to do I figure I was good at history I could read I got good marks I could memorize things Uh, And that, you know, typical immigrant uh, child, you have to be something that wears a a suit all day or has a proper business card. And um, a white collar job was very important in my um, in my family. So my dad said, as long as I stay in school, he'll pay for it. And I thought, yeah, that's a good deal. (laughs) So I stayed in school. And um, with every intention, I went to York University for arts, Bachelor of Fine Arts, again, because um, art history was my major. And I thought if I could memorize all that stuff, I'll, you know, easily go into some sort of and I took British history and other histories in English. And I thought, you know, that would be an easy way to to probably after four years, uh, then go on to law school. And then, so when did you switch paths? Well, that, that you know, switching paths is, and this is why I, I, I hope everybody um, is just always open to switching paths or being able to see a switch. Even if it's super scary, it was super scary because I switched paths in my last almost last year of university in my third year of university where i met and this is i had still full intentions of even though i was taking fine arts and art history i still had full intentions of applying to law school but i met these most wonderful people at a conference at a design conference at york university a place um AGI, which is a world an international tiny group of very elite designers and they had come to a conference at York University. And I was one of the students working on the conference. Uh, there was about 20 of us chosen from, our, from various classes. And, and it was a wonderful little group. And I spent the summer working on this. And then we we had we presented this, this conference. And people came from all over the world. And same with the designers. They were from Alan Fletcher, incredibly famous designer from a place called Pentagram in uh, England. Um, someone from Hong Kong, uh, uh, Oh, Shigeo Fukuda, another very famous Japanese designer, Woody Pirtle from um, the US. These were all people that, you know, I didn't even know at the time. Uh, they were just really good at what they did, but I didn't even know at the time how big they were within their own industry. I was just happy to be there. And after the conference, and they were all lectures on, on design from perspectives from all over the world, and, um, and they were great. Some of them had to be translated because the person didn't speak English. It was just, it was just very eye opening for a kid that grew up in Toronto, you know, in a, a deli, so behind a grocery, in a grocery store. And I love that too. They were, they were just the most interesting people to me and they did interesting things, whether it wasn't even whether I like their style of, of design or not. It was here I saw people in front of me, and I was 22, I think, or 20, and I saw people in front of me that at 50, and that seemed old at the time—not <laughs> that it is—that at 50 loved what they did. They talked about it no differently than they just than than if they were just starting, you know. And there was an energy and an enthusiasm, and I'm not and and a, a true honesty to how they spoke about what they did that I thought. Well, why don't I try this? <laughs> you know, and and to be honest, I didn't even know it was a job. Like, these are hidden jobs. There's thousands and thousands of hidden jobs out there. And and coming from, as a, like I said, as a firstborn here, I mean, those were not jobs that I would have even known of. We only knew of, of jobs that were, you know, uh, more ordinary, or I don't even mean ordinary, but more publicized. Whereas graphic design in Canada, I mean, basically started in 1968, or is it 64 during the very, very early days with only two or three uh, design firms. And it really started with uh, Montreal Expo. So it's an incredibly young um, a young industry to get into. So me not knowing wasn't weird. <laughs> um, but me seeing these people and understanding that mm, maybe I could make a living doing this because these people are people I would want to know my whole life. And I just... I didn't want to have to work for the weekends. My point was, if you're going to work, don't just work for the weekends. Now we work every weekend, <laughs> but, I, but at least I like what I do. Mm-hmm.
0: So I know that you went on to work as a graphic designer for a couple of years. Um, what made you decide to start concrete? concrete?
1: Concrete started, I loved the people I was able to work with in Toronto, two of the best firms around at the time. And... What both firm was pursuing was not what I thought design was about, or, um, I was learning, I was learning how to do, get things done, but I didn't feel I was growing creatively, which is fine, you know? Um, so not that you can grow creatively in your own business sometimes, because after all it is work and sometimes it's not always the creative part that gets you, you, uh, um, to the end. But I, I, I think in my head, I just thought, okay, I work for these two places. There's nowhere else to work. And I wasn't going to leave Canada. I'm an only child and my parents were important to me. And the only other place I could go would be New York. Um, and I thought, you know, might as well try. So, uh, we, uh, we started Concrete, me and my husband, a year after we got married. So uh, we are the co-founders, John Polipchuk and myself are the co-founders of Concrete, and literally two uh, drafting tables, a phone and a photocopier. And it was terrifying. And another reason why we called ourselves Concrete was because our names... Uh, Katona and Polipchuk just sounded like an Eastern European immigration firm and believe me at the time in Toronto that wasn't going to fly <laughs> so <laughs> at the time all firms were called very very Anglo names uh and Associates, Taylor and Browning, Spencer, Francie, Peters these are all the, the big firms and we just didn't think uh, Polipchuk, Katona anybody <laughs> would know what that was even uh, so we came up with the name Concrete after a trip to Italy where I fell in love with the Concrete Milano Loco. And then someone just said, well, that's a good word. And, uh, that's how we became Concrete. So over the
0: past couple of years, you've worked with some pretty, uh, quite a few beauty brands, like, uh, and, and I know starting with Bite, Beauty Blender, Paracone, Velour, Patrick Ta, recently Pie, and more to come. Um, what do you see happening in the beauty industry right now and where do you th- see things going?
1: You know, it's, it's, it's funny when we started only in skincare, uh, when we rebranded, um, Dr. Paracone and that was our source sort of first foray into actual worldwide, um, a worldwide beauty brand cause he sells everywhere. And I, at the time, I mean, I think I don't even, I wasn't even using skincare, because it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't as, um, we didn't really talk about it. It's only like people in the know really knew about, about skincare. Also, it was one of the hardest things to sell because unlike color, there is no color. And showing, um, in a visual, uh, media that we work in, even more so now than even when we started, uh, color can sell so quickly because you see what it does. Whereas skincare takes months to see, you know, even a little bit of a change, even if you see it, or even to record that type of change. And the product itself is not fabulous. It's, you know, usually a white cream or an oil or something. They're not exactly stunning things to photograph. Uh, They're subtle, they're quiet. And whereas color is not. So um, it was a real challenge. And, And the challenge in that case years ago before skincare became so big was definitely on the outward looking and the verb verbiage or the how you explain efficacy but it was on the packaging it was on how do I make people pick this up first I have to make them pick it up you can say whatever you want about the product but somehow what you say and what you see the seeing part is more uh, emotional the rational part is the saying, but people pick up emotionally and and are attracted emotionally to things first and that was our job and 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 how do I make this brand uh, a rebirth of a brand that was uh, a pioneer in skincare and health actually
0: um and then where do you see things going in beauty so that I I mean I guess since paracone we've seen skincare
1: really blow up. yeah, yeah, yeah. like
0: there's a, I feel like there's a new skincare brand every day mm-hmm. um I guess, yeah, where do you see things going with cosmetics, color, skincare, self-care,
1: all these buzzwords? (laughs) I know. I mean, I hate to say it, but I hate the the word self-care, and it probably is because of my background, whereas basically uh, when you're an immigrant, you know, you're just told to snap out of it. Self-care is never part of the conversation, (laughs) you know? So when I hear self-care, I was like, oh God, I roll my eyes and think, are we all, you know, just hopeless and we can't deal with things? but i think our lives are just so different than our parents but anyway i um i hate self care i hate i hate these i know when you when you speak to a bunch of people when you speak to mass it is better to try to find shorter ways of explaining things so when you say the word self care wellness whatever you immediately get an idea of maybe what the, those things are made up of but still i hate those blanket terms so much because just like the word design, they become cheap. Because everybody just goes under them. There is no vetting of what is healthcare or what is wellness or what is design. Even there's good and bad, and um, but it's all sort of lumped under the same title. Anyway, so I do have trouble with those blanket terms, and, and I, I I try when we work on brands not to use them. Depends on the brand. Depends on who the reaches to. Anyway, um, it's saturated, and I find that I do find that scary, and that that's sort of the challenge all the time. That every time we get a client, where they say, "Okay, we have the best thing in the world," because of course I want my clients to think they have the best thing in the world, whether it is or not. They have to think that, or they'll never get it done. You know, you don't create a brand thing. Oh, I have this mediocre thing. I think I'll go and do this. <laughs> you know, you you have to believe in what you do. So when they come to us, um, we just try to to understand, we try to find that one sort of sliver, that hair, that whatever, that spark that could make them actually have an advantage. You know, and hopefully the packaging allows that, hopefully the formula allows that, but in the end, it's every single detail of your business that is going to make you successful. It is not just... And that's why every single detail is important. Never used to be. If you had great surface and horrible packaging, you did fine. You know, because you it, it, it's also that we're a totally telegenic, um, online, on a screen, color. We are totally immersed in visuals constantly. That's another problem. So how do you stand out? It's easy when it was early days, but how now, right? Mm-hmm. So... That's when every other detail also becomes important. Can I win them over first to pick you up? Can I win then their emotion and heart over by actually delivering and doing something good for them? And then can I also make sure that the service, like that's not my part, but what I tell all my clients, if all those three don't work or more things, it doesn't matter. Then why did you even waste your time doing the packaging? Every single detail, and that's what's happened. The only way you will stay competitive is by making every single detail um, as good as you can.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Going back just for a second about what you're saying about how brands in the past couple years, or just marketing in general, maybe it's always been like this, have tried to distill and simplify messaging so that it's easy to sell. I think that a lot of the times, or sometimes companies or brands can distill messages to the point that they're completely like, missing. they mean nothing. They mean, yeah. they mean nothing. Yeah. They, they almost treat the consumer as if they're Stupid. an idiot. Yeah. Um, and I think something we're trying to do with 1999 is be a bit more nuanced in what we're trying to communicate. Right. And it's a bit more about conversation and kind of changing some of these ideas. So yeah. I
1: guess I, think, I agree. I mean, I, 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 I totally agree. I think, um, because makeup has always been sold to women as something you use because you don't look good enough or it's a problem. So I'm going to hide this because it's a problem. I'm going to do this because I'm not good enough. I'm going to do this. I don't look young enough. I don't look old enough. I don't, you know, I want to look, I don't know. I want to look brighter. I want to look whatever. It's always sold to you as you're not good enough. It's an application onto you uh um, because you're not good enough the way you are. I mean, that is the history. I think of 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 how they've used uh, for me. I think it's totally changed for your generation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely changed. You guys are way more open about not being perfect. But there's this ridiculous sense of perfection um, that I think makeup has had. Now we have both both of those still. If you look at uh, the, the some of the most popular makeup. Uh, videos and tutorials are are, all about looking absolutely ridiculously perfect. And I honestly don't understand that. There is nothing more beautiful than a flaw. And a flaw, meaning, and whether that is an overbite or a, a crooked tooth, or a space in your tooth, or one eye that's not symmetrical, or 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 a weird brows. It doesn't matter if you look at any. Like look at Ryan Gosling. <laughs> I mean, that is not a symmetrical face. <laughs> you know, um, pure pure symmet- pure S- symmetry is like boring. It's absolutely <laughs> boring. And and honestly, that that I grew up with only. Uh, um, as a kid looking at magazines, I grew up with uh white blondes in 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 like bikinis, basically. That was the only thing out there, and I felt like a freak all the time until Isabella Rosalini started, they start to use her, and I said, Oh my god, a round faced woman. I mean, she's stunning, a round faced woman with short dark hair. Wow. You know, it's amazing. I'm very um I have my own opinions, I'm very strong that way, but It is amazing how much these things can affect you with, even if you say they don't, Mm -hmm. even if you say I'm totally, you know, comfortable, blah, 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 you know, I'm fine being, you know, 20 pounds overweight. I'm fine like this. I don't care if my hair is not perfect. Somehow, I mean, maybe just me, somehow it still gets to you. And I, I wanted, I wanted people to, to use makeup. I want, and I think it's changed, but this is sort of more my background in makeup as, as using it because I wasn't I wasn't that girl in the magazine so we're using it we're not you know we're not these women so we're using it I want to use it because it actually makes me feel good not because I want to look a certain way Mm -hmm. and I love lipstick I say if you have something enhance it luckily I have great lips (laughs) that won't age and um you know, I, I, that's what I think about makeup. I don't think makeup is about covering up and making yourself look like plastic. I don't quite understand that attraction. That's a form of beauty I just do not understand to me. And it could be because I spent almost every summer in Europe and I love, I love how people look in Europe. They're always a mess. <laughs> you know, they're perfectly dressed, but somehow there's something always off. And there is nothing more charming than a flaw or a bit of a mistake or it's endearing and and i think that when when makeup is used mentally and physically just to fix up you know um yeah, even or, the term fix up oh my like god what, but yeah. no it's used it, i mean concealer i love concealer mm-hmm. sure i want to fix up but eh, you know like it's just the way they sell it as problem solution problem solution i love that it's very easy for mass market to understand that i get it i get it But putting that in your head every time you pick up something to cover something, or to do something, you're you're constantly told. You're constantly told from a very young age, which is really hard, that you have to do this. Mm -hmm. And
0: I, I mean, going back to what you were saying about how your generation was marketed flaw focused cosmetics, everything body, everything. And and I agree that my generation we're finally starting to see cosmetics be something that's more about expression versus correction expression, yes. and 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 this kind of goes into my next question is that i was inspired to start 1999 beauty because i saw your struggle with aging and kind of this this flaw focused right. dialogue and, and like youth
1: focused in
0: youth focused right. um nobody was talking um, to us that had that has been like put upon your generation and i know you're very much aware of how the conversation is changing with my generation. But I think, I mean, I noticed that you weren't being included in that change necessarily. Right. So that was a big inspiration behind 1999. So can you touch a bit more on this, on these struggles you're
1: feeling as like a disconnect as you get older with these conversations that are happening? I wish that, um, I was maybe 20 years younger because by the time I would hit this age, everything would be okay because uh, there is a struggle. I'm caught between that generation where if I do something funny or weird or wear weird, 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 wear weird makeup or cut my hair funny, they think I'm crazy or that it may be not inappropriate, but crazy. We're crazy. Oh, she's getting old. She's, you know, she's, she's asking for she's, too much attention. She's asking for too much attention or she's trying to be young and, and, and that drives me bananas. (laughs) Like I, 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 I am fine with my age. I don't like it. What I don't like is the perception of the age. And what I don't like about my age is that it's old, you know, (laughs) but it doesn't, I don't feel old. Um, it's only old meaning that I'm running out of time. It's not old because I'm old. It just is, you know, reality. Right. So, um, but, but I, the energy or the interest or, Or the interest in clothes and and makeup and hair and and ingenuity. Another reason why I love fashion and architecture and art is ingenuity. Whether it works or not, the fact that people try and put themselves out there and fail and go back and try again, to me, is unbelievable. Like, that's the spirit. I love that spirit. Um, and, and to me, arts and, and makeup and, and all of that and, and design and architecture and painting, all of that has that, um, that type of experimentation. And, and instead of that going away as you get older, I think you you do get crazier and more interested and, and try things. And that's just because of knowledge you've had. I mean, people who don't give up. <laughs> um, when I was young, my mother uh, and I, didn't share clothes we didn't share makeup we didn't share the same hairstyle my children and myself go to the same concerts we wear the same clothes we wear the same makeup we share absolutely everything that's a cultural shift that's an ages shift an ageism there something has happened and and people are working later I think some of my best years maybe even creatively are coming um for some reason, architects don't hit their stride till they're 80, usually. And and I think if you can keep doing that in certain industries, um, I think the world is just that much more rich. And yeah, I had a problem. I hate seeing makeup on on literally when I see someone selling face cream. And there are huge companies that sell face cream on 20 year olds. I want to go crazy to me that's a company I do not want to give money to mm-hmm. do not lie to me do not say to me that this girl needs this I need this she doesn't need it and I think it's it's blatant and disgusting um that they do this tell the truth you know it's not going to take your wrinkles away but hydration is good <laughs> you know if you really want those wrinkles to go away get a facelift Um,
0: yeah. (laughs) So you touched on something. We've talked about it as a brand that we're trying to do, which is narrow the generational beauty gap. We're going through this shift where generations don't necessarily, or generations participate in the same activities and products and rituals day to day. Right. I use the same products as you. Right. We wear similar clothes. We go to the same concerts. So, I guess, can you speak to a bit of. I guess I'm okay. just trying to say that narrowing the generational beauty gap is the shift that you were just talking it's about. It's a huge shift.
1: And it, it makes so much sense, but I still have people uh, my age saying, oh, I couldn't do that. Like, my point is, what happens if you do do that? Mm-hmm. What happens if you just don't walk that same line every single day and have a bit of fun? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not in their character, but I think it's more a fear of rules. And, And the point about, like, we have enough rules in our life. Do I really need one with makeup and clothes also? No, I don't I don't need that. And and it's funny, I actually love to mix everything. Um I've even had when I mix my gum flavors, I've even had people say, How can you do that? And it's like, what? <laughs> you know what do you mean? Now it's really easy. You buy two gums, you put them together. But but um but there are no rules and and, and fashion, if you think about it, fashion a long time ago, I mean everyone had to have the same suit. One year it was all beige, was the color. The next year it was all green, and and it was very similar for makeup in the '60s also, um, and and we got into this this thing where we're waiting for people to to tell us. And I think instead, I and I don't believe that all these different color skin needs they need different foundation. No question there. <laughs> I I get that, but I don't believe you need fifty million things. Of all these different colors, another marketing thing, I personally think it's 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 definitely marketing, um, which is fine, it's out there, you buy it or not. But I do believe that, and we I think we've proven that uh, with our photos in 1999, that different generations, different skin tones can wear exactly the same colors and look fabulous. The red that I wear, and I'm pretty whitey, blue-skinned, white person, um, and Alicia's mom, Michelle, who is stunning, and a black woman with the most beautiful graying afro, um, I and then she wears it with her daughter, mm-hmm. and they look great, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's such a simple thing, and makeup is being made so complicated and, I, and I, I think to myself it takes hours to put it on why would anyone want to waste their time <laughs> anyway or wearing red on your eye I, I I still have I do I still have friends saying they can't do that or it's not my color or you know try it I never thought orange was my color all summer I wear orange on my lips and I love it yeah, and and I bet just people would tell me I shouldn't but it's like no why yeah.
0: <laughs> And uh, this kind of connects
1: to the next question. Can you take us through your daily beauty routine, morning and night? Sure. Um, Right now, because of COVID, (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's a lot of moisturizer. Um, If I want to feel fresh and peppy, there is no question I will have lipstick on. Lipstick just plain makes me happy. It could be nothing else but moisturizer, eye cream, face cream, um, and because I've had so amazing, so many amazing clients, I've tried so many uh, wonderful things like pie, which is great, and um, Josie Moran, which I've been using for eye right now. Uh, Dr. Loretta, who I love also, that I use for my uh, brightening. <laughs> anyway, But um, I look at my 92-year-old mother who only uses Nivea, never went out in the sun, and I think to myself... I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be using anything. (laughs) The genetics are there, you know. Um, But it is. Eye cream. I'll do an eye cream, but I have so many various kinds. I'm terrible. I never stick to one thing. And then um, I'll use moisturizer. I draw on my brows because I'm hairless. And... um, (laughs) Uh, um, I use my face gloss and depending on how peppy I want to feel, I use my red pencil from 1999 right now on, and I use that red pencil or Nutra all over my face. So there was a really good tutorial where Simone, the makeup artist did that. And I started doing that and I love it because it looks natural, but it just has enough brightness that you look alive, you know, and it is look who doesn't want to look nice? I don't want to look tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I use stuff. And a bit of concealer, of course. I use concealer. I love red or neutral on my lips. Sometimes I mix them and I get a really great color, actually. The nutris Sorry. I've been doing that. It's great. Yeah, you did it Isn't first. Isn't nice? Month. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. so, uh, uh, a browny red that's really beautiful. If I want to look really classic, almost French, uh, classic, old old kind of movie star look, I do do a really nice uh, a red lip. But yeah, there's not in the odd time, and I've been using Barna um, as uh, with a brush on my eyes, like today, because I had a couple of really important calls, and I, I just wanted my face to be more defined online. But my my routine's very limited, and I don't spend a lot of time. But the funny thing about putting on makeup is that it's your only time to be by yourself, and I have to say <laughs> that <It's> ritual self-care. <laughs> is self care, even though even though you're putting it on. Um, There is a self-care thing about putting on certain makeup and certain creams on your face. There is a very nice feeling about that when you're alone and doing that. I think that's the, to me, that's the ultimate luxury of
0: having the time to To play with your appearance in that way, in a way that's temporary and just for fun.
1: There's no, there's no like end goal. It's just, it's just, it's just fun. That's, that's what I try to explain every time as someone in my sort of sphere age group sphere says I can't do that it's not my color or how do you do that oh they're going to think I'm crazy because I know that I've, I've been told by some women oh I can't do red eyeliner because they're going to think I'm crazy you know uh, if they're going to think you're crazy because you're wearing red eyeliner it's not your problem <laughs> it's someone else's problem because you've proven you know especially at our age we've proven ourselves mm-hmm. you know we most of the women I talk to are unbelievably Um, talented they run their own businesses they're you know and if someone and that's what I hate about about sort of you know this like why do you think at this age that I don't want to go dancing or I don't want to go to a bar or I don't want to go with people that aren't my age um a lot of people might just want to play golf and I find that incredibly boring but <laughs> I do I mean the minute I'm in a in a, a golf course with everybody my age or older I go bananas I just start to think I can't I I it's like it's for it's like I'm looking at something I just don't want in my life mm-hmm. and and I just feel everyone's given up and I can't see that happening um, and do you feel pressure to look a certain way? I do. It's pressure from myself, but I bet, I mean, looking back at things now, it's a pressure from growing up with the images I grew up with. Yeah. And my parents, of course, they always want you to be perfect. Right. But, um, it is definitely, there was no such thing as, um, flawed bodies or flawed anything. You know, you had to be tall, blonde and thin. Mm-hmm. that's it with a big white smile that's all you saw and like I said until I saw the first uh, uh, I think it was first Command with Isabella Rossellini which was a long time ago I didn't even think uh, anybody could look like that even though they were all in my life but they weren't represented yeah. right they weren't yeah. represented and now um, I find it amazing I mean it's even made me feel more comfortable mm-hmm. seeing you know Paloma who I adore beautiful face, gorgeous body, but she's a big girl, mm-hmm. like considered a bit, you know, and mm-hmm. I hate the term plus size drives me bananas. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I find it patronizing. Uh, it's just a size. Who yeah. cares? It's yeah. a size. Do you have to call it plus, plus size? <laughs> just say the size. Everyone knows what it is. <laughs> you know, it really, really bothers me.
0: And does the term age appropriate mean anything to you?
1: It did for the longest time, you know, how long my skirt was, what kind of makeup I wore. I still think in certain businesses in, and in certain cultures even, uh, that does mean something age appropriate. You know, uh, I mean, my mother always said to me, you know, you can't have long hair when you're old. You have to cut it short, like stuff like that. Um, or you can't wear it like a short skirt or, or, or show your knees after a certain age. It's so, uh, I don't know, like I keep saying this, these rules were not made by anybody more important than you. You do what you want. Rules are there. That's, they're stupid rules. It's not. They're not like rules that are live or die rules. So why are you following them? Why do you let them affect you? But I think when they're knocked into your head in every form of media mm-hmm. and culture... That you don't do this, you do this, or you know, my mother. I I remember I wore I wear I love hoops, but that means you're a gypsy, like stupid <laughs> stuff like that, or, or a toe, the toe ring. ring in the 90s. Right? Yeah, she wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> um, uh, I know that you guys don't fight that anymore, but growing up with those messages, not only uh, from my own parents, but but in magazines, in advertising, the happy family was always um, very white you know, there was, uh, with the right sweaters and the right dog and the dog was always the same dog. And there was no variation. Um,
0: and if you could share advice
1: with your younger self, what would it be? What would it be? I wish I took even more chances and I took a lot of chances for myself. I wish I was even more. Um, I still feel, I still feel there's so many things I want to do. I there's so many, uh, but now I have way more responsibility and it just is different. So do everything you can before you have too much responsibility, because I I do feel a little bit, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't feel as free now. Not that, you know, the thing is with young people, they don't feel free either. They're all trying to go also for the same things that I was going for. Like you think you need a house and a car and all that. And, and, you know, if that's what you want, great. I didn't know. I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Um... But that brings a a whole other set of responsibility that doesn't leave you free to do other things. So that's why, geez, makeup. If you want to wear a red dot on your face, wear a red (laughs) dot on your face. Like, who cares? It's fun. (laughs) Anyway, I would tell my younger self to to not be so driven.
0: Yeah, I I definitely think that um, that's being broken down a bit in terms of the whole get married, buy a house, get a car. It's definitely with our generation changing a bit. There's less rules. I I do see
1: people... A lot of people still do follow that. Um, Or they have a baby, then decide maybe they'll get, maybe they won't get married. You know, um, I mean, that was not going to happen with us, as we know, my my mother. But um, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if those are the steps in life that make everybody happy, but they are the steps that we seem to all follow. And um, I think we need a shake up there too, because I don't, I don't believe that.
0: Um, and what makes you feel beautiful? When my skin looks really nice,
1: I know. <laughs> what makes me feel beautiful? Being just happy. Definitely, of course, when I feel good ab- about myself, which is everybody's biggest problem. We're our own worst enemies. Feeling good about yourself is just so complicated. And some days when I feel like shit, red lipstick helps. I know that sounds stupid and vacuous and... But if I can go out and just try to make myself feel better, makeup is a part of it for me. Um, And nice clothes and fitting well and feeling good about my outside self does help me feel better about my inside self. And maybe that's, maybe I'm weak. Maybe that's why I need to feel good about my outside self. Um, Maybe that's my weakness and my, my, um, hang up, uh, I know my inside's okay. That's that's the whole thing. Um, I struggle with the outside, for sure. And that's why I think I like to buy clothes. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think There's everybody has their own struggle yeah. inside and out.
0: There's definitely something undeniably undeniable
1: about putting on a nice outfit and makeup and I I think that's dressing up and it's hard I mean right now with COVID I just put on jeans and high heels and I felt great you know and usually it was a drudgery to just get dressed for work and figure out what you're going to wear even though all I wear is a like in the winter a turtleneck and jeans and boots high, high boots or a jacket I don't have to dress up for my business it felt so nice just to go to dinner and uh wear I, that's been kind of fun, you know, to to wear something even though it's kind of ordinary, uh, or not fancy clothes. It felt great. Um, and do you think there's a point where we stop growing and learning? Yes, if you're golfing. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's gonna hate this, you know. I, <laughs> I you know, I hope not. For me, of course, you get tired. You get you do get tired about just. It's a very hard time to live and grow old at the same time because when we started our business, I thought, you know, okay, by 50, 55, I could start to wind down. (laughs) Uh, That's what it was. I mean, that's how things work. But now I'm ready for my next job. I'm not kidding. I keep looking for what can I do next and, or, or how do I build on this and do something else or uh i'm ready to do a totally other industry i don't care and i'll learn you know um so i hope that's good but that is very much a that was very few people did that long time ago they were very happy with like stupid ads like freedom freedom 55 from the bank which just made me puke um that idea of being free well I don't know I have nothing to do so I don't feel so free if I don't have something to do I mean my freedom comes from actually working if that makes any sense and experimenting but um and talking to people but uh um I think some people do but they're happy probably giving up I, I think I don't know if it's not a giving up maybe they're just happy not having the pressure I know that I totally totally function 100% on stress and pressure.
0: Nice, great ending point. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Didi. Thank you for being the first interviewee of the 1999 Beauty Podcast. Now, is there anything else you <laughs> want to add about 1999?
1: Um, I love the conversations. I think that that the more you talk, the more you learn. And the more you learn, you're not the only one. For the longest time. And when you feel like you're the only one, you do feel like a freak. And I think women should get angry when they see 20-year-olds selling, you know, creams for 50-year-olds. Or when you see 20-year-olds, and I love 20-year-olds, don't get me wrong. I love women. I love men. I have no problem with ages. I don't think millennials are hopeless. I love them. I have no, I don't even like terms like millennial or generation whatever's drives me crazy um, putting them all in one sort of uh, basket if we talk about these we won't feel like freaks and I I really really resent how um, how big companies market uh, their products um, you know $3,000, $20,000 dresses that 20 year olds will never buy there are beautiful people of all kinds of all types and for the longest time and still to today, they only use the odd token woman. And she, still, she has to be thin. That's my other beef. But uh, if she's old and on the runway, she still won't be a regular-sized woman, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, that it is very hard to fight that huge media conglomerate of and still feel good about yourself. So women who feel good about themselves or are out there and aren't those women, they are strong. I mean, it is, and I think I'm super strong, and I didn't even realize how much this stuff affected me. Well, I'm happy to be talking about it. Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of the 1999 Beauty Podcast. I hope that gave a bit more context onto where the brand came from and where it's going. Um, Make sure to subscribe to our channel. We have a bunch of wonderful interviews lined up for the next little while and can't wait to see you on the next one.